What's up, guys? Welcome to the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. I am your host, Dan Pringle, and today I sit down with Joseph DeFonzo to talk about baseball player Troy Kulitsky and how his heel surgeries ended his career. What's up, guys? It's Dan here, and welcome to the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. I'm really excited to get this up and running. The whole purpose behind the podcast here is to spread some more knowledge about uh, about the body, about understanding how to put the pieces together in clinical practice, help out patients uh, as well as therapists across uh, the spectrum from physiotherapy, massage therapy, chiropractors, anyone who works with the body, anyone who has a passion or interest in learning more about how the body works and how to optimize their ability to help others with uh, with pain and movement problems. So what you're going to hear over the course uh, of the podcast are several different formats. Some, like this episode, is going to be a little bit more of the interview style where we're having a conversation about certain topics. We'll have a series of both special guests and we'll also have some that are more on the recurring side. And then uh, on top of that, we're going to have a couple other different formats. In the Clinical Mastermind Mentorship Program, I do a series of conversations in a lot of different formats with the people I'm mentoring and uh, we're going to include some conversations from those. You'll get a real insight into how other practitioners are interacting with the challenges in their practice and how I'm able to help them. So hopefully you'll get some insight from those. And then thirdly, you're going to hear a series of clips that uh, are pulled from either previous conversations I've had, even previous podcasts that I've done, and you're going to get a chance to have some context driven by me both before and after the clip to help you get some insight into how that can help you practice. Now, this first episode is with uh, my good colleague Joseph DeFonzo. He's a physiotherapist, and uh, he's been working with me for the last four years, and so we've built a really close relationship. You can tell on the mic right away uh, that we get along really well, and we've done this before. In fact, we ran a podcast for about six months earlier in 2018 that ended up coming to an end, but at the same time, we got a lot of great experience out of it, and, uh, and we really got this thing up and moving. So in this particular episode, we are chatting about Troy Tulowitzki. Now, he's a baseball player, um, played for many years, and Joe and I, being big Toronto Blue Jays fans, uh, have some really fond memories of him participating in some of the great playoff runs that they had in 2015 and 2016. Uh, but his career kind of slowed towards the end with uh, a series of injuries that all culminated with uh, with a series of surgeries and, uh, and a lengthy rehab process that ultimately uh, led to his retirement. And so we have a lot of different conversations about you know, what might have happened, what might have gone wrong, takeaways for the regular practitioner in their caseload, working with athletes and non-athletes. And uh, it's a really interesting kind of jumping off point for us to, to start a discussion on the Clinical Mastermind about the types of things that we should be paying attention to, that we can be concerned about, both with our own caseloads and also in dealing with some pro athletes. And when we observe pro athletes and understand the types of things that they might be going through over the course of their career. For more information about the Clinical Mastermind, you can visit clinicalmastermind.com. You can find me on Instagram at dpringle.physio, on YouTube at YouTube slash dpringl, uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those same. You can look up Dan Pringle and you can find me there. And uh, please, at the same time, subscribe to this podcast, share your comments below, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. And now, episode one.
All right, Joe. We're back. We're back, man. How does it feel to be back on the mic again? It's been a while. It's been over a year for you now. I know. It, it's gone by quickly, but it feels good. We had a good run going there. Man, it was, it was a lot of fun. I yeah. had a good time. Well, we're back, right? Um, new name. Uh, new Rebranded. For- <laughs> Rebranded. <laughs> Rebranded, new format, and uh, I'm really glad to, to have you uh, as a kind of recurring guest yeah. on the Clinical Mastermind podcast, and... Uh, and hopefully we can pick up where we left off and have that uh, that chemistry that just was you know yeah irresistible. Happy, happy to do it, man. The clinical mastermind is uh, is awesome. I'm yeah. a big fan of it, so happy to play my part here. All right. Well, uh, today we're uh, we're going to talk about Troy Tulowitzki. And um, if we go back to you know when he first gets traded to the Jays, this is the summer of 2015. Yes. Um, and that whole playoff run takes place right at the same time that we opened the Glendon Clinic. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, that's right. Was that that year? Yeah, that was the year. Remember we had the Blue Jays uh, yeah, yeah. towels all over yeah, the place in the, yeah, yeah. in the little clinic there? Yeah. So as those playoffs are happening, that's when the clinic's opening at the same time. So I always remember that kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. That was a, that was a big first big year. for both of us. Big year for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, anyways, so that was, you know, so exciting, you know, probably the most exciting time. I've watched baseball, you know, ever, um, especially being too young to really appreciate the Jays back in the 90s. And, um, and Troy was a big part of that. And, uh, I mean, the big trade that we, when we get him, I remember just going crazy being like, oh man, we got this guy, former MVP. And he was a middle of the night thing, right? Cause they also got, they also got price at the deadline. Yeah. I think that year. And they got him not at the deadline, but it was like a middle of the night, like two in the morning thing when it broke. Something like that. I remember the city woke up and kind of went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to one of the, the, the first series he was here uh, I went to a game and I think he hit a he hit home run in one of those like first game. It was the first game or the second game and he just first at bat just knocked one right out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. No, he he kind of had some huge home runs yeah. in the, in that that streak they had yeah. when he first got traded yeah. and then the playoffs yeah. and then the, the following Texas year. series he had a huge yeah. huge home run in one of those games. Twenty sixteen, yeah. he had some big plays. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so where we're gonna start our story though is kind of early last year. So we're talking February. Of 2018, mm-hmm. training camp is starting, or uh, training camp is starting, mm-hmm. and we've got Tulo still at 20 plus million dollars a year, yeah. and uh, he suffered uh, an ankle injury that missed, that caused him to miss the second half of the previous season. But we're expecting to come back strong. We still have delusions that we're a good team, you know that Stroman and Sanchez are the core of the franchise, yeah. and um, and he's coming back and hoping 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 to redeem himself. And he starts uh, coming out with these reports of heel spurs. And it sounds like it starts on one side. If I kind of go briefly over his his history now, um, he suffers a right ankle injury in 2017, misses the entire season, ends up with this right heel thing, in particular on the right side, in in February of 2018. And there's reports about whether he's going to be available for opening day, etc. But what ends up happening is that he ends up undergoing surgery for bilateral heel spurs. In 2018. Yes, this was yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, during training camp, they right. realized he wasn't going to start. They put him on a 60-day disabled list, yeah. and then they do the surgery. And I remember coming out to John, our receptionist here at the clinic, and saying right then and there, like, that was career-ending surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had kind of forgotten about him. You know, we didn't play the rest of the season. I was checking in on yeah. his poor rehab over the course of the season last year, and then he gets shut down at the end of the season. And then he makes it with the with the Yankees. Yeah. He plays five games, re-injures his calf. Oh yeah. And then 
basically, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he, for a... Yeah, and then he retires. Yeah. So... Just a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, so he yeah. played five major, major league games since the time that I called it was career-ending surgery, so... How would you say? Is that, is that Nostradamus level? or? Yeah, that's a pretty good... I think you called the shot there. I remember him going to the Yankees and being, like, pretty... I remember him being quoted as saying, like, I'm going to essentially show the Jays what they missed out yeah. on. And he was he was almost a bit standoffish. I love the guy, but when he was when he threw those comments, I was like, easy, Troy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially, like, he'd kind of been known for being yeah. injury-prone yeah. over the course of his career. Uh, I took a brief look, and it didn't seem, like, out of the ordinary for a guy who played as much as he did, right? I mean, he had some, he had tore his quad in 2018, he had some hand stuff, he got a few injuries, just contact injuries, broken wrist from a ball. Um, he did have a groin surgery in 2012, and then a hamstring injury yeah. early in the year before he injured his ankle in 2017, but... How, how old is he, you know? I actually don't know how old he is right now. Um, maybe take a quick up. look while we yeah. do that, but, um... You know, for a guy who was a little bit unorthodox, especially the way he fielded, a very effective fielder, you know, one of the greater fielders of his era, but, oh, yeah. you know, very, uh, very much um, kind of unorthodox in how he moved, you know, the demands in your body are going to be a little bit different over time, so it's not unreasonable that he maybe suffers on average or a little bit higher than average uh, kind of non-impacting I, I found I always found he was a big player for that position. Like a tall player? Like a tall player. I don't know well enough. For, for shortstop, like there's a lot, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I always thought that that was... I always think of shortstops, middle infield, as guys were a little bit more agile, smaller. Yeah. You're Dustin Pedroia, stuff like that. But yeah. he's, he's, he's a big dude. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that factored into it all. But he did... The way he, th- the way he would throw all sorts of off-balance stuff, yeah. he played the position like no other, and I don't know if that impacted things. What would you say? Well, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. we can't really pinpoint that. It's all about how well his body was prepared for that activity and how long he could keep it up, right? Some people can do that for a whole career. Some people can't. You know, again, unfortunately, when we look at just like these quotes from the media people, as we're already yeah. trying to figure out, we can't tell exactly how much is accurate and, and how much isn't. Yeah. But um, I do think that it really brings up a couple of really important themes that are, are relevant for like the average person and for the average therapist encountering these types of injuries when we're starting to think about Surgery and intervention yeah. when treatment's not working. There he is. He's 30, 34, 6'3", 205. Okay, so he's a big, big dude, big definitely, um, for, for that position, right? Yeah. Usually you think of definitely more, more agile than that. Yeah. Um, so he's 34. So he 34. retired at 34. Yeah. So, I mean, he hasn't, I mean, I guess maybe he started young. Like, usually baseball players can play. Oh, well. yeah, he would have been, I think he was a bit of a prodigy. So I think he had, uh, I think he played, like, multiple seasons in the, in the league, and I don't remember him being particularly injury prone at the beginning. I think it was probably within the last, the latter part of his career, the last seven to ten years that he started having issues. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to go back over everything and, and kind of talk about that yeah. timeline. So, um, so that first ankle injury. It sounds like it was a pretty nasty injury. I mean, he's running through first base. He steps on a first baseman's foot, rolls his ankle really badly, and pretty soon, right after that, they know it's going to be a significant injury. This is end of July, so a couple months left in the season. It's not uncommon for that to take a couple months and for him not to get back in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, when we treat that, it's, it's the same things we have to consider, right? It's dealing with the acute injury itself, dealing with the acute swelling, you know, edema, et cetera, mm-hmm. assessing the, the severity of, of, of the actual structural damage, um, and treating it, at, at least initially, like an acute injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to spend that much time focusing on the other parts of the kinetic chain until we've got that local area under control. Um, once we've kind of got that sorted out, though, and we're starting to think about getting back to activity, that's when we have to step 
or globally, right? And and we have this assumption, I think, sometimes that that because they're pro athletes, that they're doing all this stuff. But I don't know. I I just get a sense that they're not. Yeah. Uh... I don't know. Well, especially especially with that franchise, you have a, a few different guys who had these recurring issues that lingered probably a lot longer than they should. The guy that comes to mind is Josh Donaldson with his calf, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It starts. You start to question. Yeah, exactly that. Are they looking beyond the injuries? I I don't know. I always like. I always assume that these franchises do their homework and they have the best of the best working with them. And I don't know. Maybe cases are just difficult. And, uh, you know, that happens. I mean, we run into that stuff sometimes, too. But, I don't know, it does make you wonder, right? So, okay, so, so let's try to, like, contextualize it as much as we can based on the information. We're, you know, we're diving into all the, the media reports and the tweets yeah. from, from 2017. But he, um, we're, we're unclear about whether he has this off-season surgery or not. Like, we, we've seen some reports that say yes, some mm-hmm. that don't mention it. Um, after that ankle injuries in the in the six months afterwards, let's say, but he shows up to camp in February and he's injured already. So he had he had from July twenty eighth to when the he first checks into training camp in early February. How many months is that? Seven eight months something like that. <laughs> I, don't know. I just I, counted them. I you, you counted them. You keep them still now. Um, so uh, it's many months yeah. for him to you know get pain free. And address the kinetic chain, address the local injury. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know, like how unusual would it need to be for him to not be recovered from an ankle injury eight months later? Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess it depends on all the other stuff that might be layered on top of that. What, with other, what do you mean? With other injuries in the past, right? Oh, I got the yeah, 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 exactly. So, so what's uh, he done on that side? Is the right side? Yeah, uh, the right side was the main ankle that he originally sprained. His past injury stuff was on the left, though, from what I was reading. I, I couldn't get too much spe- uh, into the specifics. I know he had an old hamstring injury. He had a groin that was on the left side. Yeah. Um, and yeah, probably a couple odd. of things, you know, day-to-day, you're playing that many games in a season, uh, yeah. 162 games, or what, I mean, he doesn't play 162, but yeah. whatever he was playing, you know, it's a lot of load, yeah. a lot of, like, little knocks, a yeah. lot of little strains and pulls and yeah. tightness, so we don't really have a good idea of what he's going through day-to-day. Yeah. So... We can just safely assume that there was wear and tear, you know, more or less on both sides. But that still is a long time yeah. for that injury to be to yeah. be going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Now, what if it's like the worst ankle injury you've ever seen? What if it's like a grade three rupture of like everything? I don't, I don't remember. Was yeah. it a lateral ankle issue? Yeah. Yeah. What if it's like a grade three rupture to such a significant degree that like is that possible that he could never literally regain? the necessary mechanics around that joint or potentially up the chain to play baseball at that level again. Is that possible? Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we talk about the structural dimension rel- relatively less important compared to the functional component. Mm-hmm. But at a certain level of structural uh, dysfunction and structural injury, mm-hmm. it will you know, put a ceiling on what that ultimate level of function is. Mm-hmm. Now, he was in February not able to run because of heel pain. Right. So, you know, it does tell us that it maybe wasn't because of like the physical ankle injury right. that was the problem. Like like he whatever it was, he was able to get back to some level of function there where it wasn't like my ankle still sucks. Right. It was now a new <laughs> related issue as right. we'll get to, but it wasn't like my ankle has so much instability that I physically can't run. Right. So yes, definitely you can get 
a structural um, injury that's significant enough that you just can't get mm-hmm. function back, or you can have a series of functional injuries that are extremely difficult to overcome. But uh, I just got a sense in this case it wasn't a matter of his ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a matter of the function of that region and then the function of that whole kinetic chain all the yeah. way to the back. Mm-hmm. The other thing we don't really know is, like, he got the heel, like, was he, ha- was he having heel pain? Or did they just, was he having just issues kind of in that region, in the ankle, I mean, maybe even other areas, like in the calf, and then they just did some imaging, found the heel spurs, and then blamed them? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we see that a lot, and I've seen stories, I've seen college athletes with that, like American college athletes, I've heard mm-hmm. stories from other therapists who work with pro athletes where they do the exact same thing, where they find structural things and then blame them for the problem mm-hmm. and then try to fix them and make things worse. Like, we know that does exist even at the pro level, so I wouldn't be surprised, especially maybe in an organization that's had some issues with, with foot and ankle issues, like maybe there's something left there. I know they talk about the field sometimes playing a role. I, I, you know, infielders probably less so, right, than an outfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think in general that uh, that there are probably are a couple of of things that they missed as they went along in terms of understanding the functional contributions to heel or ankle pain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. It could have been calcaneal pain on that lateral side, and they just called it heel because right. it's kind of close. But right. it was really more referred from the interlateral ankle. Yeah. you know, like yeah. we don't really know, but yeah. we, you know, we can kind of infer a little bit based on them talking about heel pain right. and you know the surgery for heel spurs, which right. has you know been reported pretty widely. So. Yeah. Um, so there's two there's two things that can be missed there. It's it's kind of the source of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just something microscopic that they missed. It's like you said, it's really like a nerve issue from the lateral ankle that's just misdiagnosed as a heel problem. Or they could be also missing just functional things higher up the chain that just like if they treated those things, a lot of those things lower down would take care of themselves. So Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's probably both. Yeah. I can't imagine it's just one of those yeah. things. Um, the point is, I mean, it's, it's, it was probably a hard case. It probably wasn't like yeah. a simple yeah. cut and dry deal, right? Yeah. So, but there are quotes of him talking about the problem is my right ankle, my right heel. Right. I've probably had these bone spurs in this ankle for three to five years, but they've never stopped me from playing. Right. That's an interesting quote. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, you know. Why now? So why are we removing it now, you know? So, so that is part of the, the, the functional problem that yeah. we're talking about here. It's, mm-hmm. it's how did the body stop being able to adapt to those injuries? Mm-hmm. That's what we need to try to understand better. Mm-hmm. Everyone's too busy saying, oh, it's there, it's inflamed, but was it there before? If he knows it was there three to five years before and could have been longer, mm-hmm. then why are we suddenly blaming it and taking it out? And why are we doing the other side mm-hmm. when he hasn't complained about symptoms in that area? Mm-hmm. Right? Balance them out. <laughs> balance them out. Yeah, you don't want to have lopsided. <laughs> the heel spurs adding a couple extra inches yeah. on the yeah. on the one side. I don't know. Hey, what is it? Uh, how does a heel spur form? That's a good question. So it's it's kind of you want to think of it like a tendinopathy, basically. Right. So it's, it's bleeding. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's the the attachment of the plantar fascia, uh, typically as it blends into the the inferior aspect of the calcaneus. Mm-hmm. And long-standing kind of tension on that area can create irritation, can create a little bit of bleeding, create um, a thickening of the attachment in that region, and that extra physical stress on that bone creates a metabolic change, which leads to increased bone formation. Mm 
So you know bone steak about someone with uh, right. osteoporosis, we want to load the bones because it increases bone growth, right? right? So physical forces create a metabolic change. Right. Gosh, sliders, similar yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gosh, sliders is a perfect example. So in the case of the, the heel spur, it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It's tension on that area over a long mm -hmm. period of time. You know, again, based on all sorts of different factors, the way that you move, uh, mm -hmm. tightness, restrictions, previous injuries, what have you. They're all going to create extra tension on the bone, which creates an increase in metabolic production of the bone, which eventually leads to, whether it's bleeding or just the bone development itself, an increase in structure. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, if you look at the evidence, you know, there, are, there is a slightly higher likelihood that you're going to have heel pain if you have a heel spur versus okay. not. Right. Uh, but it's certainly not this one for one, like if you've got a heel spur, you have pain. Uh, there are some really severe cases. I, I can't imagine he's one of them since there's been no mention of heel pain on right. either side yeah. in the past in his history amongst everything. Yeah. You know, maybe he had some foot-related issues. Who knows if he's been given orthotics or had other interventions there over the years. We just don't know. But um, it's, it's hard to imagine that that suddenly appeared and was the source of all mm -hmm. of his problems. And even if it was, like, why was it appearing? Like, mm -hmm. this is the piece that I think we need to consider. It's like, why did those heel spurs develop, right. let's address the cause yeah. rather than the symptom. Let's address the why right. rather than just the what. Right. And like you said, it had been there for three to five years, right? So yeah. there was likely something going on with his mechanics down there that was, that was there prior to this, right? Yeah. And maybe just underlying all of this stuff and, and it eventually became an issue. What, so when you think heel spur, what does that make you... So it sounds like it's the product of like some sort of uh, dysfunction, yeah. mechanical dysfunction. Do you think it's usually, when you see a heel spur, do you normally think like, all right, that person has a, a local foot dysfunction in terms of stuff through the plantar fascia that they need to work on? Or can you also get a heel spur from just like excessive loading from stuff further up the chain not working well? Again, I think you have to look at both. Like, right. why would there be that much foot dysfunction with the absence of any significant injuries or significant, right, you know, objective dysfunctions there? Right that stood out, you know, different from, say, the other side or mm -hmm. from the average person, um, if there wasn't a problem more proximally as well. Like, if there wasn't a problem at the hip or at the knee, then or even at the ankle, then why would the plantar fascia be overloaded in such a way, mm -hmm. right? Um, you'd think it'd be loaded appropriately. So either it's a movement patterning problem or it's a you know, motor engagement problem proximally as well. Right. And usually those go hand in hand. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, if someone comes into me with a diagnosis of heel spurs, like, we're spending a lot of time trying to understand why. And, and I get a sense that, you know, maybe it's the, the, the speed at which they're trying to get things done at the pro level that they don't have the time to really stepwise figure out the problem. Mm -hmm. But if, if they had spent three months trying to understand his problem better, he might have been able to play three more years. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why, like, deciding on... Friday that you've got heel spurs and need surgery and having them on Monday may actually be worse for you than deciding on Friday you've got heel spurs, figuring out what to do about it over the next three months, and then mm -hmm. developing a long-term strategy as an athlete. Mm -hmm. It makes especially a lot of sense in younger athletes, mm -hmm. but even someone who was, I guess, 33 at the time, you should still say, you know, this guy has a lot that he wants to prove and yeah. do as an athlete. Yeah. We really shouldn't yeah, the, I know. Uh, I don't think he was ready to retire for another couple of years. It sounded like he had the he had the fire still for it. So. Yeah, certainly. At least yeah. I guess it's the Blue Jays. He, yeah, he apparently did. Yeah, 
But uh, so at the end of the day, that's that's kind of how we have to look at it. We have to understand the like why was there extra stress there? Is it a structural limitation? Is there you know midfoot pronation and supination problems? Are there calcaneal foot and ankle problems? Are there engagement problems along that? you know, that region more locally, so tibialis posterior, the uh, fibularis longus tendon wrapping underneath. Like, is there a control of those two? Yeah. Or some of the deep muscles of the foot? And then you look up the chain, like, kinetically, like, where are there altered, uh, alter, alterations in function at the hip or at the back with hip rotation, with adductor engagement, with the previous groin injury? Yeah. We have to think about all that stuff. Yeah. And then his left side had heel spurs, but had no pain. So number one, it's stupid enough to do the surgery. Yeah. On a side that has no pain. But second of all, like if it's on the asymptomatic side, don't you need to stop for a second and say, is it really causing the problem in the yeah. first place? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The bilateral problem, you might want to look more centrally. Yeah. That's what I always think, too. I think, to, I, to me, it stands to reason when you look at the chronology of it, too, that he's got those heel spurs for three to five years. We're talking about all these... Um, dysfunctions and mechanical issues that might be going on that might be leading to that. Then he has this ankle issue. Those same dysfunctions are probably going to make coming back from that really bad ankle injury more difficult. You know what I mean, right? So that's probably what, to me, that might be a, a part of why that off-season, the recovery during that off-season from that ankle injury and surgery was so long was because he had all this underlying stuff going on yep. that, like, put extra load in the foot and the ankle that probably decreased his chances of recovering from that ankle is quick. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And then it shows the thing go on from there. So he has a surgery, and then, you know, I think it was May. So, like, let's say six weeks later, he's running on the anti-gravity treadmill, the Alter G or whatever version they've got. You know, about a couple weeks later, he's cleared to run mm-hmm. outside, lightly, whatever. After the surgery? After the surgery, uh-huh. yeah. So he's, whatever, uh, two months out of surgery, and he's able to start doing a little bit of running. But... Then, I don't know, like about three weeks later, apparently he's still not running. And then you don't hear anything, and then a couple months later he's shut down. So there were still some problems along that way. Like he's, I assume he's doing rehab hours every single day. Yeah. And they, either they were just missing something, yeah. or there were some serious dysfunctions there. But regardless, that he gets shut down, so now he's had no baseball, no running, whatever, from February, or the surgery was in April, rather. And then he comes back in spring training of this year, of 2018. Or sorry, what am I saying? 2019. And um, he ends up with a calf injury, like, on, like five games five into the games season. In. Yeah. And, on the uh, right, was it the right side? This is the left. This is right the other side, side from the bad ankle. But, you know, again, yeah. we knew there was dysfunction there because of the heel spurs. Yeah. And because now he's had surgery there, so that's created new dysfunction because they've cut through nerves, they've cut yeah. through skin, they've affected the fascial chain. He's had to do rehab for that area, so there's all sorts of potential imbalances there. And, uh, and so he sits out, does his rehab for about three, four weeks, comes back to his rehab stint in AAA or whatever, plays three innings, gets pulled out of the game with aggravating his calf, fast forward another month, and he's retired. Wow. That was it. Yeah. In the span of, you know, 14 months, he went from reporting to training camp with the mm-hmm. heel spur, two surgeries, can't run for months and months and months, mm-hmm. comes back Apparently he's looking good. Hits a homer in his first like opening day game or something at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. and then you know a week later he's out with an injury that'll that'll kill his kill his career. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be gained 
to understand these types of problems because we encounter these themes every single day. People having surgeries that maybe aren't the best idea. I have a patient coming in later today who is uh, considering surgery for a bunion and it's just stiff. There's not really a lot of pain. It doesn't really look that bad. She can't fit into a certain high heels she wants to wear and she's deciding whether she wants to have surgery for that. And we're going to have a really serious discussion about what the goals are of that surgery, how likely it is to succeed, the challenges that can happen. Mm-hmm. When, because the, 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 that surgery is not great. When you walk half the body weight goes through your first, first ray, half goes through digits two through five. So there's a lot of force going through that joint. After surgery, it needs to be managed really well. So this happens all the time. Our patients come in whether they want surgery or recommend it for surgery, considering it, read it online. So we need to do a better job of understanding, you know, what the actual contextual factors are for these cases and not just blaming the structure and treating it right away. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if the surgeons, like, consider all the things that you were talking about, right? Like the, the I don't know, the side effects or risk factors of having surgery. Like you talk about disrupting the fascial chain. It's like a mini trauma to that area, cutting through nerves. I wonder if that stuff is all discussed with these guys. You'd be surprised. I don't think it is all that often. Like once in a while, I, I hear a, surger, a yeah. surgeon who says, do not do surgery at any cost. Yeah. And I love hearing that. But a lot of them um, feel uh-huh. really confident in their abilities yeah. to help others. And I find a lot of them, if there is something structural there, they're more than likely going to suggest it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's the, it's the typical, right? You know, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You really, truly want to help this player, yeah. this athlete, this yeah. individual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you see something that you're concerned about and you want to address it. But they're also the ones who are um, missing other major signs of dysfunction. They're also the ones who aren't doing the kind of thorough assessment that might be needed in a very complex case like his. Uh, I I, I don't know. I mean, we can't really blame that specific surgeon per se. But there are a lot of indications that maybe that wasn't the best decision at that time. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who we know for a fact have had bad surgeries because they haven't been thoroughly investigated. Mm -hmm. And and so maybe it's not this specific case, but it brings up many other cases that happen every single day. Mm -hmm. So if Troy was our patient, what would we have like what would you have done differently? That's a good question. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to answer that question when you don't know what was done, but... Right, but, you know, I would have, I definitely would have exercised caution knowing that that surgery, to me, is a last resort. Like, an absolute last resort. Um, knowing that it could have been career-ending. Like, I, I called that as soon as I saw the headline, you know, on the ticker of the sports show. Like, I knew that was going to be a dangerous thing to do. So, I can't tell you exactly what I would have done from a treatment standpoint, not knowing this case. I'll give you some ideas in a second. But... First and foremost, surgery bilaterally for heel spurs would have been like the last straw. It would have been like, okay, you're basically going to have to retire. Let's try this radical surgery. I basically would consider it in that, right. in that spectrum. Yeah. Um, like a career-saving surgery at that point rather than offer it first and it be a career-ending. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we've talked about some of the things that we would, we would try to do if he, if he was a, a patient of ours. You know, really, really thorough functional assessment understanding, you know, what's left from that left groin injury, what's left from that right hamstring injury, like, is there nociception dysfunction there? Is it affecting the segment and affecting what's happening at the level in the hamstring, for instance, at the sacrum, like the lumbosacral plexus, which provides innervation Mm -hmm. down to the plantar surface of the foot? So is there dysfunction at the lumbar spine or, you know, that lumbosacral region that is creating some vulnerability? We know we talked about the bleeding factor at the heel. 
So if we're talking about the innervation of the vasculature of the lower extremity, that's a thoracolumbar junction. So we have to think of what's happening there. So you have to scan every single area and understand it in detail. Maybe he has some old lumbar dysfunction from an old injury or just even on imaging. I'd want to look at that for someone like him, especially if we're making this kind of, you know, multi-million dollar decision. Like imaging at the back? Yeah. yeah, just to understand it. Not that it's going to change my outcome, but I want to understand the wear and tear on every single level. I'd want to comb through his whole injury history, his huge medical file over the last 15 years, and understand every little thing and try to put the pieces together and understand what stands out and what doesn't and what's unique and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really want to comb through all that stuff to understand what might be missing and make sure all those other injuries, whether identified properly or not, have been thoroughly addressed. I'd want that the environment of that whole lower body yeah. to be in pristine shape before I could make a decision about what else needs to be done. And it, the, the upside of that is that we fix the whole lower body and he still has heel pain, he'll probably do better with the heel surgery then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. if it is a last resort, Absolutely. if everything else is great, then all we gotta do is fix that and hopefully yeah. you know the the rest takes care so of itself. The best prehab money can buy probably is the Exactly what you just described. So, yeah. so I, I mean, it's possible that they did all that and this was a one-off yeah. case. Uh, but I think it's an important uh, way for us to talk about our patients and, and understanding the environment before the injury occurred. And how one injury can set off a sequence of events, especially when the body's vulnerable beforehand. Mm-hmm. And if we can understand that better, in every single patient who comes through our door today then we're going to do a better job of picking the right, out, the right outcome, the right intervention. Uh, we're going to have the right explanation for a patient. We're going to be able to get out in front of potential flare-ups. We're going to be able to get out in front of uh, some of these injuries that might occur down the road that we can address now so it doesn't happen in the future. This is why they call it the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. <laughs> I knew you were going to throw that in there somewhere. Look at the, look at the gems you're getting here. There you go. There you go. So, uh, I don't know. Any last, any last thoughts? I mean, great career, you know, Hall of Famer? I, I re- was, the article I was reading this morning said he was, like, uh, early part of his career destined to be in the Hall of Famer. I think he was one of the best players in baseball yeah. at the time. Def- yeah. Certainly best best, posi- best player at his position, for sure. Without a doubt. Because he could hit, too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about, like, his career numbers and stuff. But I loved him. Yeah. I thought he was a pro. And... Uh, I love the way he played the position, love the way he played the game, and he just, he was like laser focused. I love guys like that. Yeah, yeah. And he was just so, so he was so silky yeah. smooth in, yeah. in, the, in the field now. We've got all the young guys in the Jays right now, and they just make so many errors. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's exciting to watch these days, but geez, their defense is bad. And I can't remember who was the shortstop prior to him coming in, but I, 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 I recall it being the same thing. It's a big issue, like middle infield, and he came in and shorted up. So, yeah, it was, it's sad to watch. Yeah, a guy like that at the end of his career kind of just, yep. you know, wither a bit. But you know, I I, I think that uh, sometimes you know they they have a tendency to think very short term. Yeah. As an athlete, and you know maybe as a medical staff, where they're like, we really need to get you back right now, um, knowing that you know th- there's a short window to, to capitalize on the players you have or the yeah. cap implications. And uh, I, I, I do believe that if he spent the right, if he spent from Ju- July 28th, 2017 through the end of the season of 2018, if he spent, you know, 14 months focusing on his body, he'd still be playing right now. 
And whether he's happy in retirement or wishes he had another couple years to, to round out his career, you know, that could have been really meaningful for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think for the average athlete, for the average person that we treat, yeah. they should care even more about their body going forwards. And so that means we should be doing whatever we can to, to guide them in the right direction with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you yeah. for back on. I'm looking forward to, to yeah. getting this up and running and, uh, and seeing a little bit more of you on this thing. Awesome, man. Awesome. Sounds good? Yeah. All right, sweet. Let's leave there.